Well, good morning, church. It's always a blessing for us to be together. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this time we have to gather together as your people. And as Dan mentioned, we're, we're so thankful that through technology uh, and, and through uh, just the desire to connect, that you allow us uh, to, to have that sense of the fact that we're not just gathering here in Abilene, but we're gathering with our faith family all over the world in this morning uh, in Peru. As we think about that worshiping community and we think about those uh, children who our, our children gave to bless this morning, we just, we just ask that you would help knit our hearts not only closer to one another, but that you would capture our hearts, God, once again uh, in your mission of seeking and saving the lost. We thank you so much for all of the ways that you work through this church family. Trunk or treat, baby blessings, uh, sacrificial giving that, that we're able to, to participate in together uh, to bless our neighborhood. God, we just were overwhelmed this morning at all of the ways that we experience your love and your presence in our lives. And we pray that you would help us to be always uh, becoming more and more like your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we continue this morning with our, our focus on the letter to the Hebrews, I want to just real quickly remind you of what we focused on together last Sunday because we're going to be picking up this morning just kind of right following the, those very words that we were looking at. And we were focusing together on Hebrews chapter 11, which is the most famous section of the letter of the Hebrews, which is where we have this, this kind of repetition, almost feels like a song, right, of by faith, by faith, by faith. All of these different people found a way to have different a different way of life than any of the, the other people around them because of, of who God was for them and who God was calling them to be. And so we, we wanted, as we thought about those different people, we wanted to have a sense of what is it when, when we talk about faith, what do we mean? Right? And so we clarified that faith isn't just something that happens in our minds, right? It's, it's not just something we think. It's, it's not even something that takes place in our hearts where it's, it's something that we feel. It's, it's not something that we're just longing for, right? And what's, what's actually incorrect about all those statements is the term something. Because faith is caught up in a relationship. Faith is our interaction with, our reliance on someone. And when we look at the various people in Hebrews 11... What sets them apart is not their ability to be perfect. It's not even their ability to always trust that relationship that they have with God. It's that there are these shining moments in their lives when, when, when God called them to step out in faith, to, to go based on the steadfast assurance that they had in him, that they found the courage to go, that they found the courage to live like they trusted God with their very lives. Too often in church, we can reduce faith 
to something that we're thinking about or something that we hope to feel. Or, or we can say, well, well, the faith I have, it's, it's all focused on this desire for a certain version of life that I think I either deserve or I desperately need to have. We come here week after week on Sunday mornings to remind ourselves that we don't just think certain ways or have certain emotions or long for certain things, but that we are seeking to have a deeper, better, richer relationship with a God who not only called us into existence, but calls us into this loving relationship. Now, in Hebrews 11, there are all these names, one after another. And then as you get to the end of that chapter, the writer continues, and, and he wants us to hold people in our hearts, people who have shown us that it really is possible to risk everything because of our trust in our relationship with God. Now, now some of that for us is going to come directly from Hebrews chapter 11, whether it's Noah, or, or whether it's Abraham, or Gideon, or Sarah, or Rahab, whoever it is that we may be thinking about from Hebrews 11, we also want to add this morning people in our own lives, in our own experience, who have shown us that it really is possible to risk everything because of that relationship with God. Right? For some of you, it, it may be your dad or your mom, or it may be a grandparent, or it may be someone else in the, the family of faith who showed you what it looks like to have that kind of trust. I don't know who it is, but hold those people in your heart right now as we read together Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. So then, with endurance, let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up, and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. He endured the cross, ignoring the shame for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him and sat down at the right side of God's throne. Think about the one who endured such opposition from sinful people so that you won't be discouraged and you won't give up. Think about this great cloud of witnesses. Think about the people who have shown us that it's possible to risk everything because of that trusting relationship that we can have with God. Now, I don't want us to, to kind of miss what's going on in the flow of the letter and the argument here in Hebrews. Because it's easy for us at times to open up scripture and all of it just feels like ancient history that we're struggling to relate to and, and to connect with. So this is, I think, in, in terms that, that maybe we might use, this is, this is what the Hebrews writer is trying to get us to recognize this morning, right? That the trust in God that faithful men and women have carried in their hearts through the ages has now been entrusted to us. It's our turn. It's our time. If you think about it, the only reason, 
that you and I even have the possibility of trusting in God the way that we do is because the believers, the people who trusted God before us, showed us that we could. I mean, the only reason we even know stories about Jesus is because people who trusted God wanted to give us insight into something that unless they carried it, unless they protected it, unless they nurtured it, and then passed it on to the next generation, and the generation after that, and the generation after that, until it comes into our lives. Unless all of those people throughout the ages who had all kinds of reasons to stop trusting in God when their lives weren't going the way they hoped, to, to question that trust in God, when, when they prayed for something deeply and passionately, and it didn't turn out the way they wanted. All of these different people who might have said, you know what, I'm just not sure. I was sure, but I'm not sure now. And it used to make sense to me, but I'm not, I'm not understanding it anymore now. All of those people who've had the same ups and downs that you and I have in our own journeys of faith, they still manage somehow to hold on and then pass it on. There is no direct line between me and Jesus except for other believers who trusted enough to show that it really is possible. Against all odds, against all the things that happen in our lives that may cause us to have very real doubts and struggles with faith, it's possible in the midst of all that Say, even when I get to that place where it's beyond my ability to understand or control it, I want a relationship with God that defines who I am and what kind of future we can share in together. We believe because they believed. We trust in God because they trusted in God. And now it's our turn. And so I want to be real clear about this. You know, when we imagine the cloud of witnesses, you know, I, I think we kind of picture ourselves running this race, and they're in the stands, and they're cheering us on. And as we think about the cloud of witnesses in that way, it's only comforting to think that there's all these people, these heroes of the faith, who are in the stands, and they're cheering us on, believing in us. Look, I... I think that's part of what's happening, but instead of imagining this cloud of witnesses sitting in the stands kind of as an adoring audience, I think we need to realize they're still on the track. And they gave everything to get to the point where they could pass off faith to us, and now they're watching us run. And they're pulling for us in a way that comes from deep investment. They, they gave it their all. And now they're waiting to see if we're going to give it our all too. Right? They gave everything they had. In the moments of doubt and darkness and despair, when they could have given up, they didn't give up. And now they're waiting to see, is our effort, is it going to honor their efforts? They're not disinterested, uninvested people who are watching from the sidelines. They're in the race with us. 
And I think what's really important for us to realize, all of us in this room, is what that means is we weren't the first to believe and we won't be the last. That there are people from ages past who are relying on us, not for themselves, they're relying on us for the people who will come behind us. In other words, we're not running the anchor leg. You know, that's kind of the, 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 the anchor leg's always the, the one you want, right? That's the fast. I, so I was, uh, my track career lasted through middle school. That probably says something to you about how good I was in my, my track career. I, growing up in school, I always had coaches take one look at me when I was even skinnier then than I am now, and they would think, man, you're going to be a great long-distance runner. Problem was, uh, I never wanted to work hard enough to run long distance, right? That just wasn't going to happen. And so I, I broke a lot of coaches' hearts when it came to the, the possibility that I would be this great long-distance runner. But I did, I did enjoy sprinting, and I, I was, was good enough at some point, I remember, that I got a chance to run on, on a relay race. And I, I wanted to get the anchor leg, but I wasn't good enough to have the anchor leg. I probably wasn't good enough to be in the race. But the, the coach gave me, you know, the next to last leg to run. And I will never forget the experience of, you know, watching the race start and then watching somebody do their very best and, and pass the baton on to the next one and that person doing their very best and then they're getting ready to me getting ready to, to pass it off to me and we start that whole awkward exchange thing that you've got to do on a track and you're trying not to trip and you're trying not to drop the baton and you get it and then I'm running and I realize that we have a slight edge over the other teams and now I start to feel like I don't want to be the guy who loses the lead that we have, right? And so I'm trying my hardest. I mean, I, I'm putting every bit of effort I have and I'm trying just not to lose any ground and I see this person out of my peripheral vision just start to pull up next to me and I think maybe that, you know, he's struggling as much as he's smiling while he's looking at me, passing me and I get it to the, the anchor leg and thankfully that guy was fast enough. He made up all the ground that I lost and we won the race. We won the race. I did not win the race. I did my best on accident to lose the race. These heroes of faith who did everything they possibly could to entrust us with this reliance, this assurance in our relationship with God you know, they're not, they're not in the stands. They're on the track. And they're, they're watching us to see, are we going to find a way to hold on, to keep trusting, to keep believing? When, when so many aspects of our lives tempt us to give up, they're begging us not to. Now, that's a part of what the Hebrews writer wants us to understand. But, but then, but then the, the camera kind of actually shifts a little bit from these other heroes of the faith. And the Hebrews writer wants us looking at one runner. 
in particular to say, look, there are men and women in your own experience who have, they've, they've been faithful, not perfect, but faithful. But when you really get into moments in your life when you're not sure if you can keep going, there's one runner that you need to fix your eyes on more than anyone else. It's God's son. It's, it's Jesus. And he doesn't run just because he has to. He, he doesn't run just because God told him to run. The Hebrews writer says he runs because of joy. Now, I have never experienced joy in my life while I'm running. But I've talked to people who, you know, have dedicated their lives to running, and they talk about this imaginary thing, the runner's high, that apparently I'm just going to have to trust is real because I'm never going to find out myself. Right? And they say it's this amazing thing. Now, I don't, I don't have any idea what that's going to be like physically, right? But spiritually, we have this sense from the Hebrews writer that it's possible for this race that we're in not to just be something we're doing because we feel like we have to do it or, or because we've agreed to do it. We're not just running out of obligation. We can run because of our joy. And the way we learn how to do that is by looking at Jesus That's how he ran. That's why he ran. I think this is really crucial for us to grasp this truth because I don't know what kind of week you've had. I don't know what kind of month you've had. I don't know what kind of year you've had. But I want you to hear this this morning. The joy that gave Jesus... The strength to keep going was the thought of a future with you. You are his joy. You're his reward. You're the reason he ran the race. You. Not a medal. Not bragging rights. Not obligation. Not because he agreed to do it and he was going to make sure that he, he kept his, his promise and, and that's absolutely true. He, he kept his promise to God the Father and to us and I'm so thankful that he did but I'm even more thankful that when he was at the closest moments of his life where he was going to give up it's the thought of you that kept him running. Do you feel deep down in your soul that that's how much you mean to Christ? Look, I know it can be challenging. You probably carry within you all kinds of experiences in your life where people treated you like you weren't worth much of anything. All of us carry with us moments of rejection all of us struggle to believe that people really do care about us as much as we're hoping they do. 
All of us have moments where we feel certain that we're not ever going to be good enough. A lot of us struggle to look in the mirror and have any reaction other than a list of negative critical thoughts that start to just pop up in our hearts and our minds. I, I, I get it. There's all kinds of reasons that you and I would struggle to believe that this is true. But it is. Years ago now, uh, I found out that I had uh, testicular cancer. And I found out when Lauren was pregnant with Riley, our first daughter, and we weren't very far away from getting to meet Riley face to face. And there were many nights uh, in those weeks where I was worried about a lot of different things and I was having trouble sleeping and I was in pain because of surgeries that I was having. And I, I just remember there were nights where when I was praying to God, I just said, just get me through this so I can hold Riley. Because if I can hold her, it'll be worth it. So just get me through this. That's, that's how Jesus feels about you. And I'm sure there were other dark moments in his life, but the one that comes to mind for me is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he was begging Right? For there to be a different way, for, for there to be another way, for, for somehow the, the choice that he was making to try to be faithful to God, for it to take a different shape and form than a cross. And then he says, but don't, don't just do what I'm asking, God. Do the best thing. Right? It's not my will, but your will be done. And I am convinced, brothers and sisters, that when he was at that point... When everything inside of him was telling him there had to be a different way, there, there had to be a, an easier way that what kept him going was the thought of you, of getting to see you, of getting to be with you. And here, here's the thing that I, I cannot quite get my mind wrapped around, but I think it's really important for you to grasp this. It's not the thought of you as a guarantee, it was the thought of you, the, the, the chance that you would care someday that he gave his life for you. That Jesus was willing to risk it all on the chance that you would know and that you would care and that you would respond by saying, I trust you. Can you imagine risking all of that? Without the ability to make sure that everybody you're giving your life for chooses you back? When Jesus wasn't sure he could keep going, the one thing he was sure of was that he wanted a shot at a future with you. And so he kept going. Asked Stephen if he would to create um, some cards, and so we're going to pass them out now. I want you to, to be able to, 
kind of have a reminder, right? A a grace-filled, grace-fueled reminder of this truth because, you know, it's one thing for me to say it this morning to you and to try my best to help you understand it, but if you're anything like me, come mid-morning tomorrow, if things aren't going my way, and my life's kind of, you know, already off track of what I was hoping for in terms of accomplishing in the week. I'm going to wrestle with trusting that I am Jesus' joy, that I'm his reward, that I'm the reason he ran the race. And so uh, we're going to pass this out to you, and it, it just says as clearly as possible, right, from these verses in Hebrews chapter 12, That it's for the sake of the joy that he felt at the thought of you. And hopefully there's some pins in the auditorium. I I, I think some of them get moved around. So uh, look, if if you want to write, write, you're probably going to remember your own name, even if you don't have a pin, right? So we're going to be okay. But go ahead and and write it there. And I want to show you, just because of who I am, that if you want it to make grammatical sense, you need to add a comma behind your name, okay? (laughs) And I just picked Holly because she was doing the welcome and I knew we would all have seen her today. So, I want you to to write your name there. And then I want you to put this card somewhere where you're going to stumble across it. Often. Because it doesn't matter if we hear this once. We need to hear it over and over and over again. And we also printed more than enough today so that if you want to take a few and you want to write someone else's name in that spot and give it to them to say, I just want you to know this, that you're Jesus' joy. You're the reason he ran. Right? I, I think it's simple, but I also think it's powerful because you and I, I think we're harder on ourselves than God wants us to be. And we have less grace for ourselves than Jesus has for us. And here's the thing about Jesus' grace, right? Jesus' grace is never an excuse to not get better. Jesus' grace is the way we get better. It's the reason we get better, right? It's, it's, It's a way you get better without fear attached or threats attached. It's hope. So I... I want you to live with this reality in your heart, this truth in your heart. And I want you to think of someone you could give this to. We're going to have some extras out uh, at the tables in the lobby, right, just right out here after church if you want to get some more. We need reminders. We need to carry this truth with us in our hearts. We are Christ's motivation for everything that he endures, for everything he goes through. And by the way, it says that he's the one who endured the shame. And what that means is that if you and I are carrying shame, we somehow have accidentally taken it back from Jesus. He wants all the shame. And he wants to crucify it. He wants to kill it. And then he wants to help us be raised in newness of life where shame doesn't hold us prisoner anymore. And if we're Christ's motivation, then what I want to leave you with this morning 
is the other side of the same truth, which is that he's our motivation, right? That the the joy that can give us the strength to keep going is the thought of our future with Jesus, that Jesus is our joy, that Jesus is our reward, that Jesus needs to be our reason for running, If anything else is our reason for running, I am convinced that we will eventually give up. We'll come up with reasons. We'll come up with justifications. We'll say it's just too hard. I don't have the strength. I don't know where to go next. I don't know. And we can just keep stacking all the things up in our hearts that we don't know and we aren't sure of. But I'm telling you this. Jesus kept going, not just because we needed him to, to save us. Jesus keeps going to show us that we can too. That he's with us. And, and because he's Jesus, because he's, he's God, right? There's this amazing ability he has to be in more than one place at once. And so he can have already run the race and keep running the race with you. He can be the strength that you need. He can be the relationship that helps heal all of your other broken relationships. He can be the one thing, the one person you depend on when you're sure that you can't trust in anyone or anything else. And and again, we aren't living this life out of some kind of obligation so that if we do all the right things and we check off the boxes, then we will get a really great reward. Now, he's our reward. He's the reason we're running. It's not something else. It's him. And he is not withholding himself from us. It's just that as we run this race, as we run deeper into that relationship with God, we get to experience the goodness of God in ways that we just didn't have the capacity to experience before. It's all gift. And why does the Hebrews writer say all of this? Because he knows that we live lives where we have moments where we're tempted to give up. Where we're tempted to let our discouragement and our disappointment take over. And so when we find ourselves in our own moments of gardens of Gethsemane, when we're begging for God to do something, to let there be another way, we find that Jesus believes in us when we're struggling to believe in him. That he, he can see in us a power, a courage, a perseverance that maybe we can't see. And in that moment, if you and I can find just enough strength to trust him more than we trust ourselves, we're going to find a joy that's better than anything else we're running after. That joy is Jesus. We're going to stand together uh, and sing in just a moment. 
as we do, as, as we prepare our hearts in just a few minutes to leave this room where we've been gathered together as God's people and now we're being sent out into our world, I just want to encourage you. Don't give up. Don't, don't give in. Don't stop running the race. You can, you can keep going. You have the strength that you need. You, you have the hope that you can hold on to. That Jesus is right beside us, encouraging us, reminding us that because of God, we're better than we know. We're stronger than we know. And the future that we've been promised is worth it. Let's stand together and sing.